in by Kulusevski. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Up the Spurs podcast. My name is Cooper, and today I am with Zach and Ian. Lads, 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 what a week. Are you both doing all right? All right is a, I, I guess that could be the, the, the word for today. It's all right. Okay. I'm here. Yeah, I'm here. We are here, and we're here to talk about the Milan match, the Leicester match, and then... This is a very special episode that we will dive deep into this. I want to say it reminds me of National Treasure because it's a hidden financial report. And Ian and Zach can dive into that later. I'm going to take a backseat on this one because I know nothing about numbers, even though my job is 95% related to it. But Zach, I, I want to open it up about Lester first. 4-1 loss at... Foxhole, whatever the Leicester Stadium's called. What what is it called? The King Power. The King, King Power. Power, yeah. The Fox. I like the Foxhole better. Yeah. The Foxhole. It, it fits. It fits. I mean, the I will, trenches. Might I will well work my butt off to buy Leicester and just rename <laughs> the King Power the Foxhole. <laughs> we'll be in. We'll be in the Vanarama South, and we'll just be rocking up at the Foxhole every day. Uh, Zach, thoughts on Leicester? Uh, what's there to really say that was gutless, spineless, uh, embarrassing. Um, yeah, it, that match royally pissed me off. Um, yeah, not, not much to say it was ugly. It, it just, and one of our best players of the season is now gone. Um, yeah, just overall, just a hellhole of a game. Uh, I thought coming off the back of what was it? Three wins. Um, that we'd have a little bit of momentum and uh, Tottenham Hotspur will be Tottenham Hotspur and we shit the, we shit the bed. Yeah, we really did. And I think the worst part about it was I went into that match thinking so confident for this. Yeah, because we have a history of just like dogpiling Lester, like Kane pops off versus Lester and I mean, we kept with the tradition of a lot of goals. It just wasn't for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Ian, any thoughts on Lester? Yeah. I mean, just it, it had to be, you know, we beat yeah. city. We love, we love the win against city coming off the back of that. We just had to lose to a struggling Lester. Um, potential future signing in James Madison looking bright in that game, but you know, RIP the rest of our season. Benton Kerr's out for seven months. He's done his ACL in. It's, a, it's a, you know, we started off this podcast by saying, it's all right. That, that might even be generous at this point. It was depressing. Yeah. Ian, you never tore your ACL, right? No, I've done my meniscus. That's what you did. I haven't done my ACL, but I mean. How long was the meniscus? The, I was three months I think yeah either way like I couldn't imagine especially uh, I couldn't imagine one how painful that is and we saw it on his face when he was Mm -hmm. on the ground like it didn't look like a particularly nasty challenge or a weird movement but it was just 
the wrong place, wrong time, wrong movement. He was in bits on the ground. It's it's just such a tough one, especially Benton Kerr, who when he's not playing, we don't play. But there might be some bright news around the hill with uh, Sar and Skip, and we will dive into them for Milan. Last thing on Lester, because it I, what, it was just a cluster of depression. I felt like I was in an AA meeting the whole time watching it. The debut by Pedro Boro. My listen, I. I think he's going to be good. I think he's going to be a good player. I think he's going to be great under Maurizio Pochettino in 2023-2024. I came into this podcast ready to fire off on my thoughts about Enoch, Conte, and tactics and stuff. And we're talking finances, so I'm trying to cool it. But Pedro Porro's debut, I, I struggle to think of a worse debut. I think the maybe like... Federico Fazio getting red carded oh and sent off. Like I, I can't even think of a worse debut. I really can't. It was hard. It, yeah. It was so hard to watch. And especially after all the hype he got. And then after Emerson's masterclass versus city to then take the punt and still start Poro, which to be fair, I was all for because it's Pedro Poro, you know, our top target. And then just to have it kind of oh, just thrown back in our face with with that performance, it was just it was so bad. You could tell he hasn't vibed with the team yet, and it just oh, it hurt. It hurt. How how did you guys feel about him, Zach? You just said there that you were all for it, and I've seen I'm like entire Spurs fan base clamoring for him to start. But after Royale's performance against City, like why would we not? give him one more game at least like we know he's bound to have a bad game coming soon but off of the back of that we sh- that that didn't feel like the right game to start Poro. i don't know that i was kind of I, I i didn't like that we started him that game my my only thought as to that is like we were kind of coming off a high you know we we'd had some good results the the city result and so you would think with lester being as poor as they have been um, that maybe we thought we could attack more and we'd be able to keep that like high pressure up. Um, and if we were, were going to be on the front foot, having someone like Poro could probably lead to more goals. I think that's probably the thinking. Um, but again, it just, yeah, backfired. I will say he did have Tanganga behind him. So that yeah. might be something associated with it. But Ian, quick question. And yes. this is one off 20 second answer. Would you have started Lucas Mora in the Champions League final over Kane? In the Champions League final? Yeah. When after Mora against, had scored the hat trick. And we're playing Liverpool. as yeah. a striker? Yeah, instead of Kane. Uh I don't know, instead of Kane. Just I'm I'm thinking about this yeah. from the perspective of like Emerson had a great game and we benched him. Yeah, I think there's levels to that though. Like, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Kane oh, it's and Emerson question. are a bit. Yeah, no, I, I would, I would have made Lucas start and fit into the squad, but I don't think it would have been at the expense of Kane. That's fair. That's really fair. Yeah, no, and I think the worst part about it, moving on, like nice segue to Milan, but Royal was probably second best player on the pitch <laughs> against Milan, top three, easily top three. 
because I think um, Sar and Skip probably take the cake for yeah. which. Oh my god! A month ago, people were being like, "Man, sell Skip, get rid of Skip." And I'm guilty of that too. No, that's I, fine. I said sell Skip, but I was wrong. No, Happy to it, admit, <laughs> and that's fine. I think who could have predicted two of our top three starting center mids go down with injuries longer than two months. And now it's, man, if you're relying on Hoiberg as your best central midfielder, and he's a good player, but your best, oh my gosh, he's a better compliment. So one no loss to Milan. And I'm just going to throw out some quick stats. 13 goals conceded in their past five matches. I think they got four put behind them by Sassuolo, who are not great. And we had three shots on target, 12 in total. We were just outplayed. I think I saw a tweet saying that that was the worst Champions League lineup that they've ever seen from Spurs. And, I mean, I remember Leipzig away. Like, that was... I was gonna say that feels a bit harsh when you got Son Kane and Kulisevsky starting up front. It's like, is that, oh yeah, is that really the worst you've seen? I mean, I can, I can recall some Soldado. I'm not gonna say Vincent Janssen because was that in the Champions League though? I remember Ooh, him playing against that's a good like point. Yeah. Astropor or whatever. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't think those guys were in the ucl squads but yeah i agree kind of a bit harsh uh but that's kind of what we see after the aftermath of losses people go over the top with things which we're all guilty of absolutely all of us but um to say it's the worst ever a bit of a stretch but it still wasn't a great game yeah Yeah. i think i think i saw a stat too that our, our last away goal in a champions league knockout match was lucas's hat trick against ix i i think that's right i'm trying to think of the away matches we've played since uh i think it's just leipzig because we weren't in the champions league last year like you said i it's kind of weird it's kind of yeah. weird thought i don't know but is is there in in the in, oh yeah right, you ready for this boys in the words of danny rose anything on milan lads you, Oh my gosh, that what a what thank a you. transition. Thank you I'm, so I'm, much for listening to the podcast. We will retire this <laughs> call it see there. you next week. No, no, no. We're done. We're done for this season. Oh, we'll, forever. <laughs> we'll pick you back up in August. We're not even going to do any transfer rumors. We're just gonna hey guys, and we just lost 4-0 to Man U opening day. It and then we'll go in. But yeah, Zach, sorry. Anything on Milan? <laughs> um yeah, it, it it was more so just it was like missed opportunities more so than just anger at the performance. Like again, people were terrified of the the prospect of Sar and Skip starting, but they were they were fantastic. Um, especially Sar, man, what a player he will be. Um, hopefully, you know, I mean. I would be fine with either of those two. I mean, it's going to have to be starting next to Pierre going forward, but Sar just has that little bit of excitement about him. But anyway, um, yeah, I don't know. Just kind of Kulisevsky was really off. Our whole front forward line was just off. And 
Yeah, our back line. What what can you say? Another error. It just typical Tottenham goal to concede. To be fair, Forster made a great double save. I will say on that. Um, and but yeah, what what can you say? It was it was Tottenham. Um, but to only be down one nil, and we have the next fixture at home. You would hope we can kind of get our get ourselves turned around, but wasn't great. It wasn't great. No. Yeah, I, I think that's the only positive. Uh, Sar and skip, and then only having a one zero deficit moving forward. But I I don't I don't think there's anything else needed to cover on Milan. Sadly, I have one last question for the both of you. Are you Conte out now? Or I know it's a long-winded question, but I'm looking for short answers. Yeah, short answer. I still don't think we can sack him, but I'm looking forward to the day that he leaves. Why, he's why a great. Why don't you think a, we can sack him? We can't be that Spursy. Like we can't have a winning manager in Conte, and have all of the problems that we've have have had in the past, and everything also just on like a or human note, everything he's going through to pile on getting sacked on top of that as well. Like, I don't think we can sack him right now, but he's definitely not the right person for the job. I think we're at a point now where like, it, how much ground, I know we're fighting for a Champions League spot and it's crucial. Is bringing in a new manager going to change that or should we try and stick with this? I don't know. I, I just feel like it would be harsh to sack him right now with all things considered, but I'm excited for him to not be our manager. Okay. That's fair. Zach. Um, nah, I, I mean, I, I understand that. And there is something that is alluring about the idea of maybe someone a bit more progressive and that fun attacking football back at Spurs. I definitely miss it. Um, but now yeah, I, it's not enough for me to turn on Conte yet. Um, just, given his track record, given kind of the circumstances he's had to deal with and that this team have kind of had to deal with, um, not trying to make excuses because obviously, you know, the players are good enough to get results where we haven't. Um, the, the squad, as much as we rip into it, is good enough to get results where he hasn't. Um, but I don't know. It also just kind of felt, and I think he spoke, that the doctors didn't want him coming back as soon as he did. Um, and it just kind of feels like, especially in that, well, both games, it's just kind of lethargic. And I wonder if that was just kind of Conte rubbing off on the players. I mean, look at, look how we played under Stellini. I mean, that was, that was a performance against city and, uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't know. It's not enough yet for me because just given his quality and his track record, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm hoping that given a bit more time for him to get up to speed again, he just doesn't seem as passionate, though. And that's the thing that's, like, really bothering me. It's just, I mean, he's had a lot of personal issues in life, and so maybe that's why. But you just don't see that same Conte on the sidelines just raging and just getting involved in in things and i don't know if that part of him is just gone then yeah probably it's best to just 
you know, cut ties at the end of the season. I don't know. I've just, it's frustrating because I've seen what we can do and I'd like to think that we can get back there, but I don't know. It's hard to say. Yeah. Damn. What do you think, Cooper? Bro, get him gone, man. I love Conte. (laughs) (laughs) Get that man out of (laughs) here. I can't play pacifist anymore. Dude, it's, it's brutal to watch. Like it, it reminds me like um, at least under Jose son and Kane were both scoring. You think it's as bad as Jose? You think I it's think as it's bad as Nuno. Listen, Nuno, I will never forget those first nine points the, in that the season. The first three games. That will Manager of the heart. month. Exactly. Manager of the month. I I think it's so bad. Like I I the reason I think it's so bad is if you look at every player on the squad, name one player that Conte has improved. You can't like he's made he's made son worse technically, I'll say in the second half of the season. And I don't really feel like he's playing to Kane's strengths at all. Kane is greatest when you let him roam wherever he wants and he's sticking Kane up top. And yeah, that's like, the, that, that's yeah. his problem is, is it feels like and we saw it with Cellini, especially like when Conte's there, the players seem to feel like. They're so pressured to be perfect to what Conte wants, yeah. but they forget to just play. Did they you don't play? They just try and be where he, they need to be because he said he needs to be there. And if they're not there, then they're not playing well. It's like, right. Just get the ball and play, man. We're like, we're not even, nobody looks confident. Your point. No. Here. Yeah. Did No, no, no. Did you, and last thing before we move on to the finances, uh, did you see Alistair Gold's, article regarding like training sessions for the players all i've seen is that like obviously we know the preseason was incredibly intense but now we're seeing all these injuries come about it is that what it was referring to no and that's a good point it was actually alluding to like conte comes across as like a tactician general and where everything's rigorous and demanding and set and there's a schedule and Alistair Gold dove into how Conte will switch things up last minute and he'll say, okay, we're not actually doing this today. We're going to do this instead. I don't need these players. I need these players from the youth teams. And I think he even had at one point some under 21s that were practicing with the first team would train and then have to run off to catch the bus to make it to... Under 21 youth matches. And yeah, I so, did see that. Yeah, and that's why we're sitting like second or third to last in the league because everyone's just so dead. And I think the other thing is he said Conte will give days off and then that night he'll be like, no, 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 you don't have off. We have to work on this. And so it, it doesn't feel as structured as I feel like a Conte team should, but I don't know. We'll get into that later. When he gets sacked after we lose to West Ham, we'll talk about it more. But for now, I'm going to pass it off to Ian because Ian has spent way too much time going through this. I'm going to call it a cryptic hidden finance report. (laughs) And here comes the money. Yeah, I'll put that song in if we have the rights, which we don't. So I won't. But I'm going to I'm going to let Ian drop some knowledge on us uh, being a analyst in his eight to five life. 
Uh, Ian, I'm going to give you the reins, my friend. Yes, sir. Appreciate it. So thing that we all want to hear about Tottenham's annual report. And as uh, they both Cooper and Zach had alluded to there, this is a very strange one in the fact that it has been basically hidden. Uh, this came out over the weekend or maybe just before the weekend hit. Um, it's their financial report for the 2021-2022 season. They posted it on Twitter as an ad, I believe. And Zach, you you had an interesting little stat you saw. Yeah. So I, I, right before we started this, I pulled it up and because I was looking for it because I went to their Twitter to try and find it, um, you know, to kind of reference as we're talking about it. And I couldn't find it on there. Um, and in another group chat, someone had linked it. And so I was able to get to it from there. Um, but like looking at this, this was posted, you know, at, at time of recording yesterday, February 14th. Um, and it has like 154,000 views. Um, but like some of their tweets, even from like, you know, 11 hours ago, 14 hours ago. So like as of today, both of these that I'm looking at um, have like 277,000 views and 269,000 views. So like, it's very clear to see um, that they're, that they're, they're tagged. They, they're, yeah, them trying to hide it worked because a thousand less people saw it and it was posted a whole day ago. Yeah, very weird. And honestly, it's after having gone through it and analyzing this annual report, there's some stuff in here that like, I don't know why they would generally want to hide this. But anyways, for anybody who doesn't know what an annual report is, essentially it's a comprehensive report and a consolidation of financial statements, which describes and documents a company's financial condition and business operations for the previous year. Every publicly traded company is required by law to publish an annual report. Tottenham is a private company. They were public up until 2012 when they went private. However, Tottenham keep producing an annual report, have ever since then as well. Uh, one, for transparency, and two, in the event of any future sale, it just makes everything a whole lot easier. So I know talking financial statements, annual reports, company finances can put people to sleep. I'm going to do my very best here to not do that, make it fun and only highlighting the really important things um, and things that honestly we should know about our club. So to start this off, I'm going to tease a couple little facts here from this um, with absolutely zero context to encourage everybody to listen on. So Cooper and Zach, I'm actually going to quiz you guys here. Two quick questions and then one kind of mysterious little thing after it. So First question, do either of you know how much of Tottenham Enoch actually owned? Isn't it, isn't it like 79%? It's, it's something like that. I think it's in that area, but the actual percentage, I do not know. Is it, does that combine Joe Lewis is like, so I, I, I'm I'm confused. Like does Joe Lewis own his shares? or is his shares in Enoch? I would imagine through Enoch. Okay. Enoch is the, yeah, as the company that's owning it. There wasn't anywhere in the annual report that specifically called out Joe Lewis. Okay. So right. I would imagine he rolls up under Enoch. So I'm going to say 85%. 
Cooper, you are the closest. Zach, you are very close as well. Enoch owned 86 or 85.56% of Tottenham. Round down, round down. (laughs) Round down. That's improper math. I can't do it. No. Sorry. But uh, by the end of the 2023 season, that'll actually increase to 87%. And I'll get into that later. Again, teasing some little facts here. All right. Second question. Final question here. At the end of the 21-22 season, what do you believe our squad, including the central staff, like managers, trainers, all that, was valued at? 850 million pounds. <laughs> I don't know. Incredible. Zach? Oh, geez. Our squad and players and staff. It's, and it's only like the, you know, you think about the, the staff that are included in the squad. So like manager, trainers, assistant managers, it doesn't take into account like backroom staff, stuff like that. I oh, gen- that changes everything. I, I, I mean, five, I, 550 yep. million. So I have it's zero a, idea. Yep. It's one of those questions that you're like, who fucking knows? 279 million pounds. Wait, wait, wait. Time out. That's the value of it. That is the value of the squad. That is net present value after amortization of players. So essentially what we'll get into later is that players in the present year are their value is amortized over the lifetime of their contract. So let's say, let's say, you know, this isn't a real figure, but let's say Harry Kane was valued at hundred million pounds and he had two years left on his contract. It'd be amortized over those two years. So he wouldn't be at hundred million. That's so, stupid. That's yeah. stupid. Finances Numbers. are stupid. Don't worry. All right. Last four hundred percent over. I'm sorry. <laughs> I hate numbers. <laughs> I wish we were at that. No, this is this is all all good stuff. All fun stuff coming up. Um, so not a quiz question here, but I want to throw this this little gem I found to you guys because it's very intriguing. So in breakdown of their financial statements. Tottenham lists 31 million pounds as, quote, assets under construction. Do you have any idea what that might be? And I want to say, like, 31 million pounds is a very weird figure because it's not, like, big enough to be something massive, like the stadium or, like, hotels or whatever they're planning. But it's also not just, like, upgrades to the South Stand. You know, it's a stupid question. How much does a hotel cost like to make? That's a great question. So is it it 31 million pounds? So you don't know. No, it's it all. The the only thing it says is assets under construction and there's nothing else to it than that. Well, so I wonder, I wonder if it is hotels because Daniel Levy did that interview. where He said, we've got some great new developments coming in like the hotels, (laughs) 12 to 18 months. Oh my God. Could be. Could be starting yeah, the, starting left back, the Marriott. <laughs> I, I, I can only I can only assume it's like you know construction projects to the property and or like any sort of I don't like I yeah that would be the best guess like hotels and or I don't know seat warmers <laughs> in the locker room. <laughs> Beyonce's stage. Okay. Jeez. Um. Right. So there we go. A few little teasers some of the gems you're going to hear throughout the rest of this episode. Two last things to touch on before jumping into the meat of this. So one, 
already referenced it, but understand that finances are extremely daunting and can be perceived as boring. One thing I want to say to it is that in football, more than any other sport, we see epic rises and falls of finances. We see what happened to City just, what, 10, 15 years ago? We see what's happening with Newcastle right now. We would kill to be in the places of those, of those fans. We would love for that to be happening to our club. Every football sport around the world would agree. We see the other side of it, too. Look at Sunderland, Portsmouth, Bolton, former staples of the Premier League who got into financial trouble and are now battling it out, Championship, League One, and even League Two. And then lastly, looking at Nottingham Forest, they just rejoined the Premier League after 23 years away, and they've won the Champions League. So the finances of a club are massively important, and understanding them is one of the most important parts about being a supporter. Again, it's boring. It takes a lot of time, and it can be difficult. But knowledge is power, and that's what we're here to do today. Especially with all the Enoch out and Levy out protests and chants, this episode might be one of the most important things you could hear being a Spurs supporter to understand what's going on behind the scenes. Last part of this, second part of this preface before getting into the meat of it, why I feel confident in being the one to bring this to everybody here. Um, I am not a CFO. I'm not a CPA. Not an F and P and A team, none of that. But I do work as an analyst, a data analyst, um, and have done for the past five or six years um, since my time at uni, where I also graduated degree in finance. So I have a basic understanding of accounting principles and how to read an annual report. That's all, Zach Cooper. Let's get this. Okay, we know what an yeah. annual report is now. We're going to start with revenues looking at how Tottenham made money last season. Now, this does not include what they call football trading. That's just the purchasing and selling of players. That comes in later. So in total last year, Tottenham ended with 444 million pounds in revenue, which was an 82 million pound increase from the season prior. If you remember, the season prior would be the 2021 season where... We played during COVID and most of our games were behind closed doors. So 82 million pounds in the last season. That's great. 23% increase, but coming off the back of COVID, how great really is that? Starting with the largest part of this TV and media, this drove 144 million pounds. It actually decreased year over year, but that was just by an accounting principle to defer revenue. It's confusing. Don't look into that too much. 144 million pounds from TV and media. Next is sponsorships, drove 126 million pounds. And that largely came from Getter, get IR, however it's pronounced, our shirt sponsor, and then Cinch on the sleeve as well. Sponsorships were up 12 million pounds from the prior season as well. Um, and we know that we can expect this to increase even further for next season, knowing that we have the South African travel partnership. That underway. was actually canceled, I believe. Yeah, oh, that was Ixnade. Yeah, because there was a lot of there was. Um, I mean, a, a lot of yeah, South and like a lot of people in South Africa were like, "Why is our money going to this? <laughs> we and don't have they electricity." Were like, <laughs> yeah, and they were like, "Yeah, you're right. Okay, well, we're sorry." Was so Getty Gettier was the number one, Ian. Yep. What about yep, like AIA? 
Well, this would have been from the last season, just the last season. Well, aren't we still sponsored by AIA? Are we? Yeah. It, yeah Are it, we not? It's probably, it's probably rolled up under that. Okay. But as far as like shirt sponsors, kit sponsors, the main drivers of this were listed as Getter and Cinch. So, so like AIA, Nike wasn't even in there? No, I think that's a different concept so because I don't know. Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. But I don't, I don't know the details of how yeah, all yeah, of that works because I, I know it's kind of a two way street there. But what was listed on the report as the two main sources of sponsorship driving revenue was Getter and Cinch. Okay. So, okay. however that rolls up and plays out, I guess we'll never know. Do you know what the comparison? Sorry, because I I know yeah. you're saying it's up from last year. Do we know about the two years prior? Yes, I do have some of these pulled together. Sorry if I'm... No, 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 no. You're good. Because there are some things that I looked at against 2019. Because okay. I was like, that was the 2019 annual report was for the 18-19 season. Obviously, we were in the Champions League final that year. We had an incredible year. Um, and parts of that I will touch on. If I'm looking at sponsorships, that was up 6 million pounds from the 2019 year. Okay. So, Does that include inflation? Um, I'm going to go ahead and say no. Yeah, no worries. Yeah. Um, merchandise. So merchandise, there's, there's a section later on where it breaks out match day revenue, revenue from European Cup and European from, or and revenue from domestic cups. Um, in the match day revenue, that doesn't include merchandise. Merchandise is completely separate. And that drove 25 million pounds uh, and was up 3 million from the prior year, which honestly stood out to me a little bit because you would imagine in a season where we have just returned to full capacity, playing in front of fans, opening the doors, we might make a little bit more than 13% increased year over year to a season where we were played behind closed doors. I'll tell you why. Why is that? All those bail jerseys. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It, it honestly, what I took away from it is it shows that Tottenham's merch sales are primarily driven by its e-commerce presence. So fans who aren't actually able to make it to the stadium, purchase a jersey on match day, that's not where a lot of their revenue comes from. It comes from their e-commerce, which is a good thing. And if that can grow, then that's great. So before getting into the match day and cup revenues, one last section of revenue was listed as other. And this other revenue actually was 7 million more than our merch. It was at 32 million and was up 107% versus last season. This group of revenue includes non-football events, concerts, NFL, rugby, et cetera, stadium tours, the Dare Skywalk. Weirdly enough, it included match day catering um, and the use of the restaurants and event spaces on not on non-match days. There is a lot more to come on this later on, so I'm just going to leave it there, but up 100% basically from the year prior because we were actually able to open our doors. Right. Last three pieces of revenue here, match day. That drove 106 million pounds and was up 104 million pounds from the year prior. Obviously, COVID only generated 2 million pounds on match day. Um, domestic cups. This one's, 
again, it makes sense when you think about the impact from COVID and honestly, like hearing all these figures and how much COVID truly impacted the club is, has been a bit eye-opening because I didn't realize it would have gone to this extent. Obviously we know like they would, wouldn't have been able to play in front of fans and all of that, but the finances of it are pretty crazy. So domestic cups, um, the FA cup and the Carabao cup generated 5.2 million pounds last season, which was up 4.9 million pounds versus last season. So during COVID, we got about 300,000 pounds from the cup matches. Um, and funny enough, the season prior, the 2021 season, we actually performed better in the cups than we did last season. So a little bit of a weird one there. Last piece of this, European cups. And this is where I definitely want to open it up more to hear your guys' thoughts on this because this, this was truly like shocking. We know how important the Champions League is. We know that clubs get a lot of money for it. How much money is pretty insane. So last season, obviously, we were in the Europa Conference League. That beautiful thing. We don't need to talk about it too much. From that, we generated 10 million pounds. In 2021, we generated 23 and a half million pounds from the Champions League. And that was in a season where we were played behind closed doors. Now, looking to the 2019 annual report, the 1819 season, we made it Champions League final. Obviously, lost to Liverpool. Again, not going to talk about that. Champions League generated 108 million pounds that year. That's 98 million more than we get from That's being in the conference. That, like, I'm, I want to open this up here because this is where I think the biggest Enoch out chance can come from. Because if we're not doing everything, if we're not spending 108 million pounds to get into the Champions League, then what are we doing? Well, how much did we spend in the summer? That I'd I, fair enough. Go. Hey, right fair there, enough. <laughs> right there. Yeah. I, I once again, I'm not a levy apologist, but yeah, something to consider. And I think I saw a tweet that was like showing the graphs of how much each team made last year, and it was Tottenham like down here, and then it was like Chelsea and Man U and Man City and Liverpool, like all just yeah. so much more. Not embarrassing. The one thing I'll say to this, and Coop, you may go. Very good point there that, yeah, we did spend, what, $170 million over the summers? Something like that in the end. Um, the, and I know we've talked about it before that the investment is there if we actually look at it. But we'll get more to this later on. But what Enoch are doing for Tottenham outside of actual football can be looked at as very positive, but it almost feels like we're trying to do what Man United, what Chelsea, what City, Liverpool, what the bigger clubs in English football, we're trying to do what they did after they achieved something, and we're trying to do it before we've achieved anything. It's a really weird situation there, but more on that to come. Thought that was a very, very interesting one to end on revenue with, just knowing that Champions League can generate an incredible amount of money for our club. Right. Next part of this I want to look at is expenses. I'm going to be very brief on this. There's a couple of things I'm going to be very brief on because they're not as exciting, to be honest. Um, expenses, operating expenses last year were 403 million pounds. So if we look at 
the profit from our operations. So that's the total revenue we just went through minus this operating expenses. We were up 40 million pounds. If we look to the season prior, it's a 95% increase year over year. Awesome. That doesn't include football trading or finance costs. Now, another piece of this I wanted to, to kind of open up here. They do dive into staff numbers, staff costs on their payroll, and the director's uh, re remuneration or how much was paid to the directors. It's not as bad as we think. Okay, staff numbers. Total staff, we have 719 employees. Players and football admin staff account for 292 of those. Stadium ops and support staff account for 358 and then retail distribution 69. So 292 players and football admin staff. That felt like a lot, but I mean, who knows? That makes sense. Wait, so wait, how many, sorry, I, how many for yeah. just the whole club? The, like the, the whole club, all staff? Yeah. 719. Wow, I thought it'd be like a thousand. Like I thought it'd be yeah. more. It's it is it's up seven percent from the year prior, but that's I mean, it's still not a lot. I think there's a lot more room for interesting, growth. like out of a COVID year. Yeah. That's yeah, right. You would think it'd be more. Yeah, um, especially with yeah. Paratici, like he wanted to like really build up our scouting, but yeah. Do you yeah, do you have the salaries attached? I do. Sorry, I do. I'm so I'm jumping well, ahead, but no, 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 no. I love it. I have salaries, but not broken out by those different groups. I just have total salaries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. do you have total yeah, from yeah. like last year? Yep, yep. Okay. So total salaries. I'm okay. I'm gonna say staff costs, which are salaries, bonuses, social security, pension, you know, all that good stuff. Two hundred and nine million pounds. That's only up two percent from the last year. So we increased our staff by seven percent cost of it only by 2%. And if we take those really quickly, that's about 290-ish thousand pounds per staff. And you got to think players are going to be on way more than that per year. Yeah, no, because I'm thinking about, like, for instance, if Conte wants, like, coaching staff-wise, if he wants, like, three coaches rather than just yeah. two and how much like pushback he would actually get from the board. Like for, I mean, if we hire someone else, yeah, if they want to bring in like a new physio team and you have to, there's a lot of costs that go with that, but yeah, sorry. Keep going. Yep. No, all good. Director's costs. So there's a couple of things in here that are really interesting. And I definitely want to make sure anybody listening, hears this part because I was expecting the worst. When I saw this section that said remuneration of directors, I was like, Ooh, here we go. How much is Daniel Levy taking home? All of the directors combined account for 6.8 million pounds. And if we take that out of that total of 209 million, it's only 3% of the total. It doesn't list specifically how much, but it said, quote, highest paid director which we could probably assume is Daniel Levy, maybe Joe Lewis, I don't know. I don't know who is technically a director, um, was 3.3 million. So they, whoever the highest paid was accounted for half of that total. That's really interesting. I bet yeah. it's Levy. That sounds like Levy, but 
probably yeah. but does, does i would that, yeah i would have thought it would have been higher just like does that include bonuses amongst all yep. of them that's oh. salaries bonuses everything. i think man because he had the whole like six million pound bonus yeah years ago. It, I, I was gonna say it could be like this is how much was paid to them by the club i'm wondering if like they're Munich. Ooh. yeah yeah which funny you should say that's a great segue there Cooper. before there i go. segue did you guys yeah. have anything else on that i just you know it is kind of a bit like i really did expect it to be a bit more especially considering like how much conte earns like i don't know just in respect of like yeah i, I guess i just would have thought that number would have been higher yeah right it, and i will say it was up 69 percent versus the last year which again, like, yeah, that's a big jump, but only from 2% of the total to 3% of the total in a year we went from no COVID or a year we went from COVID to opening back up, you know. It, but we also added, I don't know if like, um, I forget what the guy's name is, but like the guy that's dealing with like trying to get us more commercial dealings and everything, oh, like that. Yeah. I you know, yeah. we added more staff to like try to, so I, you know, that might also have accommodate yeah. some of that i mean i'm just thinking about staff but like conte's on what 15 million pounds a year is that it do you think yeah. brian mason's making like twenty thousand <laughs> a week or something just like man some i weird... hope not well, no I, I mean i nearly cracked i mean nearly died i'd hope he's getting a good a good paycheck so ian this might be a really random question and yeah. i'm totally just gonna keep taking you off center because that's it. what i do I love it do we have financials on payments towards coaches that we have sacked. Ooh, that was not included in here, but Damn that would be, it. I know that would be super interesting. Well, well actually, okay, hold that's on. probably wrapped up in salaries, right? It's, it's going to be wrapped up in something else. Actually, Ooh, it's okay. going to be wrapped up under part of the assets, um, which I will get to. I'm going to, I'm going to, say this piece and then I'm going to transition back to Enoch ownership because there's some really interesting stuff going on and then we'll come back to the assets but players and essential staff are listed as quote intangible assets hmm. in the financial reports and so that is quote the costs associated with the acquisition of players and key management staff are capitalized as intangible fixed assets along with computer softwares, which is just like a very minor part of it. But essentially, it's players, key management staff, and computer software. Um, any acquired on deferred terms are recorded at their fail, fair value, net present value of the costs at the date of acquisition. Intangible assets are also recorded at net book value, meaning after costs, uh, meaning costs after amortization and impairment as of June 30th, 2022. So and for anybody who doesn't know what amortization means, it just means paid over installments, um, principal and interest split. Not, not too important for this conversation, but later on, there's a section called intangible assets and it will be recorded under there because there's a section called, quote, disposals, which will be fun to dive into. Right, Enoch ownership. Said at the beginning here, Enoch own, let's see exactly, 85.56% of Tottenham Hotspur Limited. They own this through the holding of 182 million ordinary shares. That means Enoch is the ultimate parent of Tottenham Hotspur Limited, as you could assume. 
And that means also that there are a total of 213 million shares in issue, where 2.1 million shares equals 1%. So if we hear of any rumblings of any potential investment, and we can know the amount of shares, a percentage, we can calculate either way backwards. Now, where this gets interesting, because I did say at the beginning that Enix ownership is increasing to 87% at the end of this year. So little section here, going to read word for word. During the year, Enix subscribed 100 million one pound A ordinary shares. These do not hold voting rights. However, Enix is able to convert the A shares into ordinary shares at any point. And at the balance sheet date, the end of these statements, the A shares had not been converted. However, the process to convert them had commenced. So, they're in the process of converting these into actual ownership shares. Um, and looking at that, this is all with the assumption that they're converting 100% of those. They subscribed 100 million pounds in these A shares. If we do a little bit of math with that, that means that each one of those, each share of Tottenham is equal to six pounds and 21 cents meaning the total amount of shares by all of our owners would equate to 1.4 billion pounds. We know the club is valued at more than that. And obviously, like we see with the stadium valuation and the, the staff and all the other assets, or the, the players and all the other assets that we have, we've seen somewhere around 3.5 to 4 billion. But in terms of actual ownership of the club at this moment in time, if all these assumptions are correct, it's about 1.4 billion pounds. So that 1.4 does that that doesn't take into account like assets of the stadium. Nope, that's just the squad. shares owned by the owner. So where that where that comes from is right now we know how much Enoch owns in shares and in percentage. And in the financial statements they said the process to convert these A shares that they bought that can be converted into uh regular shares has begun, and by the end of the season, it quoted the exact percentage it'll take their ownership to, which is 86.58%. So the, and I'm, I might be jumping ahead, but mm -hmm. the 1.8 in shares plus, I think the assets of like the training ground, the stadium, and the squad is technically like 1.7. It's like around there. Yes, the total total assets in terms of cash, players, uh, stadium, all of that is 1.9 billion. So what's that equal? It's so like 1.9 3.7. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So technically the valuation of the club. 3.3. Okay, so it's 3.3. Is 1.4 billion pounds uh, okay. in ownership after these have been converted. Um, and again, the way this is converted is... Because we know that their ownership is increasing to 86.58%, do a little bit of <clears throat> math reversing that out. They bought 100 million one pound shares. So they invested 100 million pounds into the club, um, obviously as a stake of ownership. So it takes 6.21 of those A shares to equal one ordinary share. Since they were bought at one pound, six pounds and 21 cents is essentially how much a share could be interpreted as. Again, this is all bro math. This isn't 
real, but it at least gives us some sense. And Kuba, I love what you just did there. Like 1.4 billion pounds in ownership shares plus 1.9 billion pounds in assets. That's close to that 3.5 billion valuation that they've been looking at. And the only reason I'm saying that is because I think, I mean, I know the reports came out today about the uh, Iranian American that's wanting to buy Spurs apparently. Mm -hmm. And I think he was quoted at 4.5 billion. Mm -hmm. For the valuation of the club, when it's so so funny to hear, I saw three point five was what he was quoted as, and then uh, they said no, it has to be north of four. Yeah, and so yeah. yeah, it it aligns with what we're seeing, and obviously, like the value of Tottenham has increased year to date, despite how we're performing, despite how it might seem, all of like the functions of the stadium and yeah. just every hurricane, and you, and you would think that you know it's probably, I mean little bit more fair what they are asking for it considering those are probably still going to continue to grow as we branch out more and more commercially and so because yep. i saw like i saw people saying what chelsea was sold for they were sold for like what two something billion but they didn't have as many like i don't think tangible assets they don't own their stadium yeah they as, also don't do. sorry not to cut you off zach they don't own yep. their club crest that's wow. owned by like a Chelsea Federation or something like that. Yeah. It's owned by a select group of fans. <laughs> it's it's similar to uh, the Jayhawk for the University of Kansas. Oh, yeah. The Jayhawk is not owned by the University of Kansas. It's owned by the newspaper, which it's UK. payment for. Yes, which I worked for. <laughs> I uh, did in, too. Oh, heck yeah. I remember. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in terms of payment for... Uh, the usage of the logo, KU funds the UDK. Wow, a funny that thing. is great to know. Glad I didn't have to read that balance sheet. So yeah, it would have not been fun. Yeah. Um. Last piece on Enoch here. They do some very very clever stuff that is good for Tottenham. So what they do is Enoch have set up a bunch of subsidiary companies where they are able to then partner with Tottenham Hotspur Limited as different functions. So for instance, Raz Air Limited, a subsidiary of Enoch, and they manage air travel, airfare, all of that stuff. They invoice Tottenham for 121,000 pounds throughout the year. And there was zero due at the end of the balance sheet date. And that's because all of that just gets funneled right back into Enoch hopefully back into Tottenham. Tottenham Hotspur Property Limited, another subsidiary of Enoch, invoiced the group for 1.1 million pounds, zero to a balance sheet date. Again, it's going to Enoch and we would hope that that comes back into Tottenham. We don't know either way. It's a bit of clever management here. Whether that's good or bad, whether it's greedy or charitable in terms of giving back to Tottenham, we don't really know. Um, But thought it was a an interesting little find so so it's not just some random address at a at an abandoned building that's <laughs> yeah. that's funneling in millions okay yeah. so it's actual yeah okay <laughs> actual companies yeah all right just a couple of sections left here to try and get through um gonna jump into assets real quick so we'll do assets liabilities little bit of cash flow and then one last section that they have as risk management which has a lot of really interesting stuff in it 
So total assets, as we mentioned, 1.9 billion pounds, up 7% or 117, 118 million pounds from the year prior. This is primarily driven by an increase in intangible assets, aka the squad and staff, um, which increased by 74 million pounds, and cash, cash equivalents, which increased by 79 million pounds. So cash and cash equivalents on hand at the club is at 227 million pounds, up 79 million, as I just said, or 53% from the year prior. That's incredible. And there's a section on cash flow later, which is one of the most important parts of being alive as a business. You hear it, the saying like cash is king and it kind of is like, okay, yeah, duh, whatever. You can be negative in cash and cash equivalents. You can have problems or get close to it, but that's when you start to not be able to pay your staff, not be able to pay players, being forced to sell players. So knowing that we have a good amount of cash and a decent increase from last year is absolutely massive. Intangible assets, mentioned this earlier, basically player staff, computer software, 279 million pounds up 75, nope, sorry, 74 million pounds from the year prior or up 36%. So how this kind of breaks out, we have the total cost at the beginning of the year, which is 481 million pounds. Then we have our additions, which was 161 million pounds. Transfer of assets, minimal, not really too important. It was just computer software. And then disposals, which was 129 million pounds. And that goes against the addition of the rest. So our total costs, you would say, or total asset at the end of the year was 513 million pounds. So Zach, I think you said earlier, 500 million pounds is the value of our squad. Technically, you're not wrong there, but that's before amortization and impairment which brings all that down to 234 million pounds, like you said earlier. Get dunked on Coop. <laughs> Shut up. You're right. Okay. Uh, next, land and building. This was really interesting, actually, because we've like heard, oh yeah, Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, amazing, incredible. It's a billion pound stadium. It's awesome, whatever. The valuation, net present value at the end of the year was 1.2 billion pounds. So it is literally a billion pound stadium. And as I had mentioned, 31 million pounds asset under the course of construction. I'm very intrigued by what that's gonna be. All right, liabilities, just jumping in. Top level, $1.7 billion in liabilities. Um, this is up. 13% year over year or 196 million pounds with a large part of that being offset by the A shares, that 100 million one pound A shares Enix subscribed to, that's included under liabilities. So that cuts out about 50% of the increase year over year. Um, so when we take our assets minus our liabilities, our net assets are at 177 million pounds. It is a decrease of 79 million versus the prior year. But again, that is all completely offset by our A shares. Cool. Cash flows. This is again, just real quick touching on this. Cash flow for the year was 198 million pounds, up 185 million pounds from the year prior. Again, COVID impact. Last year, we saw 12.8 million pounds in cash flow. This year, nearly 200 million. Um, 
when, when it's broken down a little bit more, our operations generated 102 million pounds, whereas last year, the cash flow was minus 9.5 million pounds. Unlucky. The other part of the cash flow was from financing activities, which stated 96 million pounds. Again, that's most likely from that 100 million, one pound a shares from Enoch. Um, last year, there was only 22 million pounds in financing activities, but this was largely due to repayment of borrowings. So throughout the year, we borrowed two seasons ago, the 2021 season, we borrowed 250 million pounds. Um, but in the same season, we were able to repay about 230 of that. Wasn't that from like some bank or something like that? Yeah, yeah. Presume I, I, my guess is it probably largely went to the stadium. Oh, okay, yeah. Or in like payment of staff and players, obviously. It, it was yeah. also COVID and there were like a lot of grants and a lot of things in that year that were very weird to take a look at. Yeah. Didn't include them in here because it was just kind of like, eh. yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Okay. Last section here, risk management. So this whole section, it's a really, really interesting thing to hear the company come out with, especially given all the Enoch out protests and everything. So there's a couple of pieces of this to touch on <laughs> the interesting stuff at the end. First part of this, just to kind of preface, um, Tottenham listed going concern. This is just an accounting principle. So if you see going concern, nothing to be concerned about. It's an accounting principle, meaning that the company is financially stable enough to meet its obligations and continue indefinitely until proven otherwise. So nothing really of note there. And they put a statement in the section that says the board of directors continually monitors the group's exposures to a range of risks and uncertainties, including the success of the first team and our level of spending thereon, the current economic landscape and funding requirements capital projects. That's all they said in that, was that the success of the first team is a part of what they monitor. Do they actually? Now, the next section of this, where the bulk of this comes from, and this is the last piece. There was an act passed in 2006 in the UK called the Companies Act 2006. And there's a section in it, section 172.1, that verbatim states, requires each director of the company to act in a way in which he or she considers in good faith would be most likely to promote the success of the company for the benefit of its members as a whole and in doing so have a regard to a range of matters and it listed just like a range of like very generic overarching matters. With respect to this, the board meets on a monthly basis and refers to ongoing strategic plans having regard to the following considerations. Couple different sections in here, but basically, this is what this is saying is that there's an app that requires all of the directors to, in good faith, do what's best for the company, do what's best for Tottenham. That is intentionally vague to leave it up to the discretion of the directors. It's kind of like one of those where the directors are in charge and they're making the rules. Very weird. But what Tottenham have come out stating they look at as far as strategic plans moving forward, a couple of different categories, starting with the first one, arguably the most important, long-term sustainability and viability of the business model. Quote, our business model going forward allows the group, Tottenham Hotspur Limited, to be less reliant on football revenues. 
While the operation of a professional football club remains our principal activity, the construction of the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium has enabled our business model to focus on new and diverse revenue. We have non-football events booked for the 22-23 period, such as music concerts and non-football sporting events like rugby and the NFL. With This is where it's interesting, where the profits from these activities going back into the club to support the football team. To me, don't know if that sounds entirely legal. We'll see. We'll see what happens there. So technically, know. Beyonce will buy us a new center back. Yes, Beyonce is our center back and is funding the <laughs> other partner. That's incredible. Yeah, very, very strange there. We'll see how that pans out. Um, we have also increased our focus on utilizing the stadium to its full potential through our conference and events department, restaurants, non-match day visitor attractions, and non-football sporting events. They said like in 21-22, they had NFL, the Anthony Joshua, Alexander Usyk fight, rugby union match, rugby league cup final. Um, and then they had this. Um, it's not fully inclusive because we know there's a lot more, but they did say basically towards the upcoming year, we also know that we have Guns N' Roses, Lady Gaga, the launch of Spurs play, and then it listed incoming transfers and outgoing transfers as well as part of this. Um, but again, it's not in total because it was just kind of like previewing what was to come. That was a big part of that where I thought it was really interesting. One, they're not, they literally said, they're less reliant on football revenues. Interesting. But the profits from that go back to the team. I guess it comes down so, to can they make more money doing that? Essentially what they want to – they want to be assured that, hey, yeah, guys, we don't have to win trophies or even do that well. <laughs> but, hey, we'll still have money, you know. And so it's like – it's kind of like a double-edged sword. It's like, hey, all these things are going to help benefit the first team. But if it doesn't, well – we're still yep. doing well. Yeah, yeah, we're still making money. It's, it's yeah, a bit cheeky. That's a really interesting way to like, because I'm thinking about if hypothetically we were to get relegated, you couldn't argue that the we'd owners be aren't the doing richest. We'd well, be the richest relegated team. Oh yeah, and you can't argue <laughs> that we're like the owners are not doing what's best for the football club could, because technically they would be, man, that's, that's yeah. a, it's a puzzle. That line. It? Yeah. And that's where honestly, like I know at the beginning I said, I don't know why they'd have any reason to hide this report from everybody and why they tried to like bury it. As I'm talking through it, the more it makes sense why they wouldn't want this out because I mean, let's be honest as Tottenham supporters, do we want to hear our owners are focusing less on the team? Uh, no, it's it's a tough one to hear. Um, anyway, the last couple of sections here of this risk management, um, there was one called interest of employees. Nothing really of note, just like generic diversity and inclusion statements. Um, they do like submit gender pay gap reports. Um, interest of other stakeholders. This one is kind of interesting. Fans, in consultation, the club is establishing a fan advisory board which will deliver increased representation and engagement by wider club stakeholders. It also had some stuff on partners and suppliers, which is very generic. Um, even that fan advisory board seems kind of like, uh, yeah, here you go. There you go. Last part of this, which is actually, this, this stuff is, again, like 
as I've said before, I'm not an Enoch or Levy apologist. I'm not a supporter of them. I'm also not completely against them. I think there's some stuff they do very right, some stuff they do very, very wrong. Um, but impact of community and environment, this is something Tottenham has done an incredible job with. So a lot of the things listed here, a lot of things listed here. First, Tottenham Hotspur Foundation Club's independent charitable body that they have set up and manage. Um, they also have a community outreach program, which helps mitigate youth crime through sport. During the pandemic, uh, Tottenham Hotspur Stadium was used to deliver vital NHS services, the relocation of a neonatal unit and a food bank. That's cool. Um, Tottenham as a company made cash donations of 453,000 pounds to various charities throughout the year that aren't associated with Tottenham, uh, which was up about 200% year over year. We had game zero in the 21-22 season where we hosted the first ever net zero carbon elite level football match against Chelsea. In but what did we do like two weeks after that? We spawned, uh, we announced our first car sponsorship, which was a Hummer. Oh, incredible. I'm sorry. That that's all I'd say. Beautiful Boy, irony. <laughs> terrible. Uh, I, I will say also, I think, I don't know if it's in the report, but I think, especially during COVID, I still think we do it, but the shipments of food for the stadium for like concession stands, I know we uh, donate that to oh, awesome charities and such. Yeah, that's good. All right. Last little bits here. Signatory of the UN Sports for Climate Action Framework. We joined the UN Race to Zero in February of 2022, committing to having our total carbon emissions by 2030 and being net zero by 2040. So on our way there. Founding partner of Count Us In, an unprecedented global movement aiming to mobilize 1 billion people to act on climate change. It didn't give much information on that. Sounds cool, could be fluff, we don't know. Um, member of the British Association for Sustainable Sport, first sports team to become a member of Products of Change, which is a global education hub aimed at driving sustainable change across consumer product markets. Um, a lot of this is like pretty similar, but you know, just in different companies, different partners, different forms. Our market-based emissions were zero. 100% of the electricity that Tottenham Hotspur Limited procured during this period is either renewable energy guarantees of origin or 100% carbon offset. Add that one to the trophy cabinet. We are offsetting, this, there's two more here, we are offsetting our carbon footprint in a myriad of ways. To date, we have planted hundreds of new and semi-mature trees and tens of thousands of new plants, hedges, and flowers across our training centers to establish an ecological habitat. The building fabric of the stadium has been designed to be highly insulated to reduce heating and cooling demands. Our stadium's technology infrastructure allows for less power during periods of low activity and high high efficiency building services systems are in place to reduce our energy use. Again, trophy cabinet, bushes. Lastly, in January of 2022, Tottenham Hotspur was named the Premier League's greenest club for a third successive year. Woo, we did it. We made it to the top of the table. We did it. Well, ladies That's and beautiful. gentlemen, that has been 
a breakdown of the annual report. A lot of interesting things in here. A lot of potential ammo to the Enoch out protests. Then again, they can come back and say, look at all we're doing for the club. It's a very weird one to try and understand Tottenham Hotspur ownership. Hopefully you got something of value out of this. Um, and if nothing else, just know that if we make the Champions League, we could possibly get 108 million pounds more. So it's vital that we make the Champions League next year. Like, so, that. Well, you can see like kind of where Daniel's getting at, where like it's the season and purchasing players is so heavily dependent on the Champions League. It's amazing. Yes, sir. Lads, anything else? Any any call outs? Anything that surprised you more than normal? Any any final thoughts? No, I'm just kind of ruminating, like like you said, just that whole point about how becoming less and less football reliant. And it's just like, but painting everything with that wide brush stroke of just like, but it's all going back to help the team. And it's like, especially with like that law that you were talking about, like as long as they say that, yeah, do they have to do it? It's, and I think that's kind of where, you know, a lot of fans could get a little bit of, you know, that outrage coming from. It's like, you're saying you're doing this. We are generating this insane amount of money and we'll continue to do so. Where is it? You know? Yeah. I'm interested to see sponsorships increase mm. only because we, we still have the juggernaut of the stadium. Yeah. Naming Not, rights to that's going to be huge. Exactly. And I, I I don't get why we... Well, it's it's something that you can't put money on, not having a sponsorship, just having it being named the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Like, that's mm-hmm. incredible. Like, just even, like, it's a really small thing, but Beyonce announcing the tours, saying Beyonce performing three nights at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. I also think, yeah. you know, it's kind of a smart, you know, almost like marketing strategy, not having that sponsor, just getting, you know, the phrase Tottenham Hotspur more familiarized at like a global level of just like, you know, Beyonce fans have no fucking idea who oh, yeah. Tottenham Hotspur are, but like, hell, she's going to be performing at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. It's just kind of that familiarity. So you kind of wonder if maybe they're, see, seems weird to say tactically holding off on the naming rights, but like maybe yeah. a little bit in there, that My, they're just not rushing it for. Yeah, last thought on that that I had is, or let's let's say Beyonce, for example, say Beyonce Tottenham Hotspur Limited. How many of those people that see that, hear that, are going to the concert are then going to go, oh, I like that Tottenham Hotspur Club. Let me go buy a shirt. Well, the jerseys are going to be open. Like, well, here's the thing though: merch only accounts for twenty five million pounds. Do we think an, the naming rights to a billion pound stadium is going to be more than that? Imagine I the think Google it's... Arena. I think it's like 30, I think what they're quoting is like 30, 35 million a year. I just imagine though people going into that stadium wanting a Tottenham jersey with Beyonce one on the back. <laughs> like hey, that yeah. is incredible. But I do think about the the because Zach can make a really good point about still having like Tottenham Hotspur being as the name of the stadium. I think about 
like in particular, like I think one of the coolest names is like Craven Cottage. Like I think mm-hmm. that's that's a really cool name, but it's it's named after the streets that are mm-hmm. along it, right? Is that I mean I don't know if that's one hundred percent correct. Or like what's 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 West Brom's stadium called? The Hawthorns. Yeah, the Hawthorns. Like that's cool. Or you don't Deepdale. Like, you don't like the Amex Stadium? Well, it's like so it's <laughs> it's weird. Like King Power. Like that's just yeah, kind of random. And I mean, what was oh, man? I'm blanking on like everything. Newcastle's Stadium. What's that called? Oh my St. god, James's Park, St. James. Yeah. Park. And so that's like the street or the station near it. Yeah. And I don't understand why more clubs aren't like the Etihad, the Emirates, or like yeah. Old Trafford will always be Old Trafford, Anfield will always be Anfield. But why isn't it Anfield? powered by amazon just like, wish we would have kept white heart lane because that's like iconic uh, and yeah. that's that's so absolutely cool. like to to hear tottenham hotspur stadiums like yeah all right bit oh. on the nose in it i bet i bet we get a like if it becomes the google stadium mm-hmm. like i think it'd be cool to be uh the white heart lane sponsored by google but i don't think google will ever go by that yeah because buying the whole naming rights the kind of whole point is just we're the big name on it, but man, that would that would win over a lot of fans. Boy, you I know Daniel's them. gonna push. Oh my god, I Spurs. Oh, <laughs> I am interested in seeing the revenue of Spurs play. Yeah, next yeah, year. that's next that's year's annual report. report. Look forward to it, February tenth, twenty twenty four. Get ready. Yeah, lads. Uh, West Ham coming up. Um, West Ham is kind of in a skid. I think they just drew. Yeah, Chelsea. So is it we're is also it kind of in a, in a skit? It is at home. This so is yeah. at home. Yeah. Must win. I send Moyes into the abyss. Richarlison oh. to start, please. Oh God, that'd be great. Do you honestly want, do you guys want Sar or Skip or or Skip? Sar. Sar with yeah. Hoybeer. Yeah, Skip's yeah. too similar to Hoybeer. My bold I, take is you bench Decky and Son, and it's not gonna happen. It's not gonna happen. Ben Juma and Richie. No, 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 no. Oh no, yeah. You start no. on the left and you put Poro at right wing. Just and Royal behind him. Like let Poro kind of have it's gonna sound terrible, but like that Spence role of just a bench. Attack. Just go. <laughs> a bench for real. No, no, no. But like just have Spence play further up the field. Just have Poro play it further up the field. Yeah, kind of get stuck in defensively a few times, but mostly just focus on whipping in balls. Like and I think and I we kind of alluded to this for the Leicester match. But I think the main issue, like, is that we're so reliant on the wingers and the wing backs. And what I can't believe I'm going to say this Brendan Rodgers did well is he suffocated like Decky and Poro and just really put a man in a back every single time. Mm-hmm. And I think every time I've watched Spurs and they've really struggled, that's how that's the reason. Yeah. Remember struggled. Chelsea, Reese James on Sun, just <clears throat> exactly. the entire game. And we couldn't do a thing. Oh yeah, exactly. No, I agree. Um, yeah, should be a good match. We might not record next week. We will see. Maybe we'll, I don't know. We'll see. I'm gone. Zach doesn't want to be here and Ian's too busy. I, I, I hate notes. this. Yep. Zach is actually resigning permanently. Yep. That's it. And <laughs> it's been an honor. Uh, As it, 
Yeah. Well, hey, big shout out to Ian. Ian, thank you so much for reading through that report. That's pretty absolutely. Awesome. It was yeah, uh, honestly, it it was work, but it wasn't. You know, it's uh it's kind of like what I do, but not really. And so I was like, you know, what? might as well bring some sort of uh skill set to this to this podcast, other than just for the listeners shit. For the listeners, we got like messages prior to this big, um, you know, whole finance deep dive on like Saturday evening and it's just like this enormous like spreadsheet of him just like breaking down everything so we're like he's he's really deep diving i was a little too drunk and a little too motivated so beautiful here we go well uh thank you for joining us today we have been the up the spurs podcast i forgot our podcast name for a second incredible uh you can find zach on twitter at the thfc Ian on Twitter at Ian underscore Arch and myself, Cooper at an American Spur. Thank you so much for listening and up the Spurs.